Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers. And if my voice sounds weird, it's because I'm having unknown throat problems again. <laughs> I swear this happens every every few weeks. I feel like I have to make that disclaimer somewhere. Constantly. Constantly. We're gonna get we're gonna start getting comments and they're gonna be like uh, all the reviews on iTunes are gonna be like, I wish he would just like stop being sick during the recordings. <laughs> yeah, that's uh Believe me, uh, hypothetical commenters, I would also like to stop being sick during recordings. That would also be nice. So we do have a few pieces of news. Uh, yes. Well, really, we have one piece of news. But first, uh, I have to address the thing Charles fucked up last week. It's been a while since we've had to do the thing Charles fucked up last week. Uh, but Charles did fuck something up last week. When he was explaining what happened to Ray Sloan and the rest of the Imperials that would eventually become the First Order, uh, which is actually relevant to this upcoming episode we're going to talk about, he said that they rendezvoused with the Executor in the Unknown Regions. Now, anyone who's watched uh, the original trilogy will immediately know that Charles was very wrong about that. Because the executor crashed into the second Death Star. What Charles should have said was it was the Eclipse Super Star Destroyer that they rendezvoused with, not the executor. The executor was destroyed in Return of the Jedi. So, hey. my bad. They both have E names and they're both <laughs> Super Star Destroyers. So, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Close enough. But as far as news goes, uh, so, Bradley, you remember when you said, uh, oh, maybe if that stupid game from the, what is it, the 2000s? Yeah, I think it was the early 2000s that it came out. Remember when you said, oh, I'll play that stupid 20-year-old game that you like so much <laughs> if it comes to Switch? Right. Well, this week at their Nintendo Direct, a time of recording this, it's going to be like a week and a half before this episode actually airs, but they did announce that Knights of the Old Republic is getting ported to Switch. Bradley, how do you feel about that? If you um, can speak through all the egg on your face currently. Right. Um, so it was funny because when I was watching the Nintendo Direct, I, I instantly, I was like, I because oh, here's the thing. I don't know what the game looks like. I've never like sought out pictures of the game. Like, I don't know. So I'm looking at this little direct like, oh, look, there's another Star Wars game going to be on there. Blah, blah, blah. Like I didn't it didn't connect in my brain. And then at the very end, it was like Knights of the Old Republic. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to hear about this for like the next three weeks. Like, oh, yes, <laughs> this is I like this it. is I mean, yeah. This has been finally the moment because I've been going back and forth on the Switch for literal years because it's 300 and something fucking dollars to get one. And like that right. price has not dropped ever. Right. It's still a ridiculous amount of money, but it keeps getting all these games that I want to play. It keeps getting things like Pod Racer and Dark Souls and Breath of the Wild that I really want to play on them. And so finally, this announcement broke me. And my resolve, I was like, fine, on Black Friday, if they have a deal, I will get myself a Switch. And I know that with the new um, 
uh, with the new uh, online Switch announcement. So they also added a new premium tier to Switch online membership. So basically, they're going to be including like old Nintendo 64 games in that package and so possibly any of those if there were star wars games on nintendo 64 like those there were actually also, i so. yeah i actually i remember when in the 90s when i was growing up it was like 1998 1999 mm-hmm. uh or no this was closer to 2000 actually because we we moved to illinois in the summer of 2000 uh but i do remember actually going over to a friend's house and at the time, my brother and I, we weren't allowed to own any game consoles. Uh, right. We didn't have any in the house. Uh, but my friend who lived down the street had an N64, so I used to go over to his place. And I would watch him play Shadows of the Empire. He wouldn't let me play it, but he would let me sit there and watch him and play watch. it. Right, of course. Now, you can... Some of them, I, I think, are not going to be able to really be optimized for Switch. Like, a lot of the ones that came to console, I could see them doing. Like, I'm holding out hope for Star Wars Bounty Hunter. Star Wars Bounty Hunter is one of the best games, Star Wars games I've ever played. I'm really hoping that one comes. But some of them, like Empire at War, I can't see them porting it to the Switch. That was probably... If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. I mean, they're, they're old-ass fucking games. It's not like anybody's going to be like... You didn't bring Pod Racer 2 to the fucking Switch, like, or whatever of the games they have. But. Oh, there will be people, there will always be people that are clamoring for a game to come to, like I just did with Bounty Hunter. I fucking love Bounty Hunter. I would, I would right. petition Nintendo all day long if I wasn't spending all the free time that I have in my life making our TikToks. Exactly. No, I, I saw, Um. oh God, I can't, f- I need to find it. It's really bad pod racing game i saw um uh pod racer no 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 it's a different one and they have like different cartoon they have like little cartoon heads it was like for the playstation or something it's called like uh what is that uh oh what is that thing that jar jar says all the time but bombad yeah bombad racing or something i think it's called bombad racing i've never even heard of this oh my god if you look this up you're gonna be like what in the actual hell star wars like (laughs) Yes, it's called Star Wars Super Bomb Bad Racing for PS2. Jesus. Oh my God. Imagine like <laughs> all the cars. It's like Mario Kart. Like all the characters are sitting in the pod racers or the little things and they have giant heads and like. Oh my it's, God. It's bad. It's this is bad. The most, bad. This is the most like N64 90s thing I've ever heard in my life. I love it. Yeah, so Bradley will be playing KOTOR finally, finally. when it comes to the Switch. I will and once will I see. once I get it, I'll give a review. I'll I'll play it for like a week and then I'll stop playing it forever. And then I'll be like, okay, this is my review of my then he'll complain to me uh, incessantly right. that I made him waste his time on this game. Exactly. Anyways, uh let's get into the episode. This week, the Mandalorian helps old friends take down the last Imperial base on Navarro while uncovering some dangerous secrets. Charles, name one thing about the episode you liked and one thing you did not. I liked how fun the episode was. Mm-hmm. I liked that later on in my notes, and I remember I was talking about it at the time, and then I was specifically talking about it with you last night, just a little bit of like, it has this very theme park ride kind of vibe to it, right. where you're just kind of there for the ride, uh, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I didn't like, hmm, 
it's sort of tricky because there's there's not a lot of substance to this episode. In right. fact, I, I might go so far as to say that would be the thing that I disliked is as far as the character interactions go, there wasn't a lot of meat to it as far as, the, I mean, the characters all basically, they're getting along the whole time. Uh, the, the whole plot is they go in, they do the thing, they leave the thing. There's no payoff to the mithril just getting shat on the whole time. Like, it felt like a very surface level episode, except for, for one scene. One scene right at the very end where they delve into one of the characters a bit. Other than that, I, I wish that we could have gotten a little more interaction between our main three, the way that we had that interaction during episode eight where they would disagree and they would try to figure out things in the heat of the moment. Uh, here, we didn't really get that as much. They go in, they do the thing, they leave. And that's basically it. What about you? One thing you liked and one thing you disliked. And I know you've been waiting to talk about the dislike. <laughs> um, no, I, it wasn't that bad. Uh, I, I agree with you, though. Like, I think one of the things I did dislike about this episode was the sheer fact that it really is just them kind of pushing along this plot of, quote, the siege. Like, literally just them doing the thing like that's all the episode was just doing something like like they do the really thing. yeah and i hate it it was basically we they fight like uh, an episode had to be if if an episode had to encompass they fight this was the, that episode it was they take most down the of <laughs> most of my notes are actually references uh, i'll okay. go ahead and, and say that right up but most of yeah. the notes that i took are things that I noticed that were callbacks to other things. There's not gotcha. a lot of meat for me to like dive into right? specifically Same. in this episode. Yeah, I mean, most of mine are just like, oh, look, walrus men. Oh, look, like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's pretty much all it is. <laughs> and that's one of the things I just didn't like. It just wasn't enough there to really like grab onto. Um, one thing I liked, though, was I... I don't know why. I just felt like I needed more of this dumb fucking thing, but I really like the Lava Cat, even though I didn't think that the puppetry was that good. I still liked it. Like, it looked fake. I think that was the problem. Versus, like, Baby Yoda looks... Like, I sometimes I can believe he's truly walking. I believe he's eating a cookie. I believe he's doing stuff. Like, the Lava Cat, I don't believe is alive if that makes sense even though well, i liked it you, you see the difference it. is bradley that the lava cat is a puppet yeah. and baby yoda is an actual baby yoda right of course i mean and i know that helps um with the the realism um because there's no such thing as lava cats but there's definitely such a thing as baby yoda so. yes baby yoda 100 is a real thing that exists right um and another thing i didn't care for but this maybe is colored based on real world stuff. Mm. I didn't care for the backdoor pilot, I'll call it. I, I have a note for that. And okay, we'll and talk I'm about it when we get it to it. We'll come yeah. to it because I also thought it in hindsight, yeah, super weird. It was right? super weird that it's it in this episode. Doesn't fit. That's my one thing I'll say. I didn't like they didn't do if they were gonna do that, they needed to make that the episode, not a scene in the episode. Yeah, and I definitely felt like we could have 
you could have stretched that underlying plot thread of Kara not wanting to join the New Republic right. out and made that the central conflict of the episode. Like you could have done it in such a way to where she has the New Republic way that she could do it versus right. her way that she could do it, which are two different things. Like we see later on in the season, she's going to circumvent the New Republic. Mm-hmm in order to get her and Mando what they want. So let's get into it. Our episode begins with the boys trying to fix their ship together, but instead decide to head to Navarro for some help. Meanwhile, back in the armorer's old workshop, Cardoon saves a lava cat from being eaten by walrus men. Uh, I low-key love the shot reverse shot in uh, this the bit where Mando is trying to instruct Baby Yoda. Because there's a long sequence where it's nothing but, like, it's sitting on the 180 line. So, Bradley, you you went through film courses the way that I went through film courses because we went to the same school. Mm. Uh, so, you know. But in film terms, when you have one of the most basic shots you can do is two people talking to each other. And you have the concept of what's called the 180 line where you basically want to keep the camera on the same side of the conversation. So you don't want to frame, it's, it's very hard to explain verbally, <laughs> but you don't want to frame like one person on a 30 degree angle from them. And then the other person from the exact same shot. What the, the director of this episode chose to do with this sequence where in order to highlight the narrowness of the tube and how far away Baby Yoda is, he decided to set the camera on the 180 line. And there is a sequence where it's going back and forth and it is a dead-on shot of Mando's face in the whole dead-on shot of Yoda, dead-on Mando's face, dead-on Yoda, back and forth, back and forth. I really do like that directing choice a lot. Well, let's talk about who the director is because yeah, let's let's skip ahead. Like, We've been doing it, that a lot in these recaps. Yeah, but I think it, I think it always has like some kind of purpose to do it anyway. Like, yeah, I don't mind talking about the director early on because it does help you kind of see why some choices were made. And um, yeah, this episode was directed by Carl Weathers, so that was a fun thing. This is now the first episode directed by an actual cast member. Yes. So just for the record, that's now that's the thing. Um, so maybe possibly some of the other characters may direct in the future. We don't know. We'll find out. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, and it has a, a sort of a grand tradition of when you have actors on a show like this, uh, sometimes they'll let the actor step in the director's seat, uh, particularly for an episode that's not, doesn't really need as much like very specific story-based direction that if they have an episode like this where it's basically just a fun side trip they'll let an actor do it because that's fine they they aren't going to be tasked with doing a lot of really heavy stuff uh i i really liked carl's direction in this episode uh i thought it was really i thought he made some interesting choices Mm-hmm. with the camera angles uh as far as how he does his placement and how he does his timing in particular uh like there's one shot of the camera like panning across the empty control bay to the one lone guy sitting at the monitor 
And that was a really good shot. I loved that shot. I thought it did a great job of conveying how understaffed the base is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other things that I noted just in this first sequence is a bit where Mando almost like takes his helmet off to eat. Mm, yeah, he's drinking the soup. So that's interesting that that he can take it off partly in front of Baby Yoda at this point. And Baby Yoda's like, face? Yeah. Face reveal? Now this is this is hinting at a later, obviously, face reveal in the season. But I noticed, and I actually just thought about this while I was watching why doesn't he take off his helmet in front of baby Yoda? It's like, if he, unless he sees baby Yoda as like a person, you know, he does see baby Yoda as like a person. Yeah. Yeah, He's funny. He always, he always has seen baby Yoda as like a person all the way back from episode one, which is right. Why he, he kills IG 11 rather than let him take baby Yoda. It's just, it's odd though, right? Because like everybody else seems to see Baby Yoda as like a pet or like an animal of some kind. Mm-hmm. And he truly has never done that, I guess, since the beginning. He's always seen him as just a baby or like an actual, like literal child. Like it's he's like, his I child. Yeah, it's a child. Yeah. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that he's just never done it in front of the baby. <laughs> Yeah, I, and we will see that is setting up things later on with the the helmet rules. We talked about deprogramming a lot with Aaron last week mm-hmm. and how you sort of begin to rationalize different things within the scope. So now it's gone from the helmet must not be removed at all times to, right. okay, we can partially take the helmet off to eat. Right. But as long it's as Alma's not, not all yeah. the way off, and it's going to keep rationalizing it all the way through until he gets to mm-hmm. the right. final episode of the season. Couple of uh, couple of things from the the covert scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our buddies on J guys and Jedi, uh, shout out to them. Uh, they're covering resistance right now. Okay. And. Uh, they were noting that the episode that they just covered, which I think was Breakout, uh, they were noting that in Breakout, the alien is translated. And CB-23 is also translated. And it's weird because it's never done elsewhere in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also noted in our Mando Season 1 rewatch uh, that sometimes the aliens are translated and sometimes they are not. And it's right. weird when they make these choices. In this scene, the aliens are translated sometimes, and then it stops. It's yeah. really weird. I've always, my general rule of thumb with any kind of translation in film, and that's for any language, even alien, is the only reason you would translate what they're saying is because the information that they're presenting to us is important to the plot. And we get that in this for like, I think one of the aliens says, oh, it's the marshal. And I think that's the only time that it even matters what they say, because I don't know. It was just really weird. Oh, grief will even call her the marshal later on. That's what I'm saying. So what was the point of even, you know, it was just like, whatever. But I'm very into not translating alien because we don't need to know like i you know what i mean like we don't as 
there's no point. Like, I don't need to know Huttese. I don't need to know, you know, Aqualish or whatever they speak. Um, it, that's that's what they're called, right? The uh, those are the Aqualish, yeah. Okay. Those are the Aqualish. You don't want to know what Ichuta means? <laughs> I would badly like to know what Ichuta means. I don't think oh, we have a translation I think for we, it. I think we know what Ichuta means. <laughs> <laughs> well, they never translate R2D2 because canonically he swears like every other right. word. <laughs> I love it. I love now, that guy. I have a I have a, a an issue with the walrus men. Okay. Um, and it's not I don't want to be racist, but I don't like the walrus men with the red mouths versus the ones with the like the regular colored mouths. Like I their teeth, I think they're their teeth. Are you really being speciesist against the Aqualish right now? I, I kind of am. I Oh God, you're such a fucking human, Bradley. Oh my God. But but correct me. Those are their teeth, correct? Or like uh, at least I, like I thought teeth. they were like tusks of some description. Yeah, like a tusk or something. Yeah. Yeah, they look like Okay. Teeth. Those are tusks. Those okay, are tusks. Good. In the distinctions column, uh Wikipedia notes that they have erected like tusks. Speaking of the Aqualish, uh yes. I thought it was interesting. So when I'm, when I'm prepping for these episodes, I go in, I read the trivia galleries, I read the Wikipedia articles on them, and then I go in and the Star Wars Explained YouTube channel made a like 101 Easter eggs from the Mandalorian type thing, mm -hmm. where I'll watch the section for the episode and see if he caught anything that I missed. And he noted something I didn't notice. Uh, which was that you can actually see one of the Aqualish has kind of a burnt face. Mm. And at the end of the episode, there's concept art showing the lava cat thing, shooting them in the face with lava. I know. So it's that like that was designed notes, yeah. and shot, but was cut from the episode. Which I'm kind of, I don't want to say mad about, but I, I would have liked to see that because when I looked at the concept art at the end, because this is the first, this is actually the first time I've, sat there and watched all the concept art because mm -hmm. last time you mentioned something from the concept art so this time i sat down and i watched them all and mm -hmm. i noted that yeah the the lava cats can breathe fire of some kind um or spit fire or something and i was like i would have liked to see that i don't know how good it would have looked but i would have liked to see it i don't know let's uh let's briefly talk about gina carano in this scene yes because I made some points in episode four when she first showed up. Okay. I said that she was a very, very good actress in very specific situations. She's a very good stunt woman. Yeah. Like, I think that's her doing all her own stunts with the fighting. And you can definitely see the, the MMA mm -hmm. influence on the way that she's fighting. But the bit where she's talking to the lava cat, that's really hard to do as an actor. <laughs> yeah. It's very difficult to emote to a scene partner that is either a puppet or not there. This was the first instance, it, and I'm not going to point out every single one because I don't want to feel like I'm bagging on Gina Carano. Right. I don't think she's a very good actress. Uh, and I also do not, like her on a personal level but in order to avoid that 
Right. I'm just going to point out here, this was the first time that I noticed when I was first watching it, that some of the line delivery that she gives when she's talking to the thing is a little bit off. Right. And that's why that's what I kind of was saying about what I kind of liked and kind of didn't like about the episode was the puppetry for this thing. Because mm-hmm. I just felt like it, there's well, one, first of all, I have the question of how sentient are lava cats? Because clearly they're smart enough to understand like enough. I like I don't know. It was question. I, I, it was bringing in all these questions like how like what level of sentience they are because they they're making us believe that they're just like animal like sentience level. But then at the same time, I felt like when it stood upright or like when she was like talking to it, like I felt like it understood what she was saying. So probably as, as sentient as your average household dog or cat. Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. your, I your roommate's like dog understands cute. what you're saying, like at least oh. through the tone of voice and. No, he doesn't. He doesn't listen. He doesn't listen to you. Maybe he's just opting not to listen to you. That's true. I do feel like dogs and cats are smarter than they let off. They, I think they choose pick and choose when they want to <laughs> but but as an actor it is incredibly difficult like yeah some of the stilted dialogue from the prequel films mm-hmm. comes from the fact that sometimes they're acting opposite you know things that aren't there or things that are like puppets and they're having to act off of them like luke skywalker does it Mark Hamill does it really effectively in Empire. He's operating off a puppet. But that's also like one of the most impressive puppets and is at least speaking back to him. Right. Where if you're in this situation, point. her, yeah, it's, it, the puppet seemed jerky and things to me. Yeah. It's, it's not a very good puppet. And I think, yeah, by contrast, Corona's delivery of the lines in the scene suffered a lot because she's outside of what she can do really effectively well. And she's also having to act opposite this puppet. So I don't know. I, this was the first time I noticed that. mm, She's not that great in this episode. I almost too feel like this scene would have served better if the puppet was more CGI than puppet. I think it would have lent more I mean, I know that like the budget wise, like they're probably not going to be like, let's just drop another, you know, a couple grand on doing a animated weasel. But I think at the same time, it would have been, I don't want to say more believable, but you know what I mean? Like it just would have helped the scene better and it would have helped at least her performance wouldn't have been as awkward, I guess, if there's literally nothing there. Cause I feel like if you're, trying to act against a bad puppet versus nothing i feel like i don't know it depends on your skill level but right once mando lands on navarro he meets up with kara and now magistrate grief karga to catch up later the child eats a cookie uh so grief's outfit changed which i liked Mm -hmm. um my only thing was that this navarro scene like the actual town itself i think looks much better now that it's yes. lively like there's like more people there's just stuff happening in the background i like when a scene looks lived in and now that they have quote unquote cleaned up the town like it's better 
<laughs> I really like it because it reminds me a lot of like the animated marketplaces. Like it reminds me of like the animated marketplace from Pantora that mm-hmm. we see in the Bad Batch. Right. Like it's very, it's a very Star Wars marketplace. Exactly. Um, or non-animated, it reminds me kind of of the the Moss Espa market from Phantom Menace. Yes. I, yeah, I agree. It was very much like uh, you can see all the vendors and the people selling their stuff and interacting in the background and you believe the world more because it looks like stuff is happening around speaking, our Speaking of the background, we can also see a statue of IG-11 in the town square briefly uh-huh. in one what scene. What a hero. What a hero. They've <laughs> erected a statue to him, which is correct. That's what he deserves. But I think uh, I think Kara's outfit is also different. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I do believe that her outfit is also different. Yes. So we've uh, got some yeah. costume changes. We're meant to see that some time has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it interesting that we went back to the wherever I go, he goes. Like Mando's really inconsistent in his beliefs. <laughs> you know what? But we pointed that out that when you are slowly being deprogrammed, you just kind of like you're all over the place with your values and your, your beliefs. And so I guess he just kind of changes his mind whenever the plot serves. Like I find it interesting that direct challenges to him result in a wherever I go, he goes. But if Mando actively makes the choice to leave Baby Yoda somewhere, then it's fine. There's no argument. Right. Like he's responding only to the direct challenges. So there's a lot of references in this section. I was and I'm not teacher, going to yeah. list them all. Okay. Uh, I will spare you that. I will I will just list off the ones that I found the most interesting. Uh, okay, fair enough. The mole from Moff Gideon, we find out later on, the repair technician. Yes. Is Membanese from the planet Memban. This is the planet uh, that first appeared in Splinter of the Mind's Eye uh, back in 19... 19- God, I want to say 1979, 1980, that book came out. Uh, but it was also the planet that Han met Chewbacca on in Solo Star Story. Okay. Uh, the capital, now I found it interesting because the protocol droid identifies the capital of the Old Republic as Coruscant. This is very interesting to me because Rebels and the Clone Wars established that the quote unquote Old Republic and the quote-unquote Galactic Republic are two separate time periods. So I wonder if this protocol droid is conflating all of the Republic eras together as opposed to differentiating them. Because they talk about in Rebels that the Jedi Temple was under attack during the fall of the Old Republic. So that was just interesting. They identified, I guess, the capital of the Old Republic was Coruscant also. I don't know whether or not that was a who wrote this episode bradley john favreau <laughs> okay dave might not have caught that okay. i don't know if that's what's going on but the capital of the new republic is identified as chandrilla did you recognize the name chandrilla bradley uh i believe that has to do with mon mothma yes okay. so does mon mothma's homeworld and one of the things with the new republic was that in order to avoid the entrenched bureaucracy that plagued the Republic, the Galactic Republic, uh, the New Republic would actually move its Senate every few years to a different planet. 
to avoid one planet becoming the quote unquote capital and everything kind of radiating out from, from them. So at this present time, it is located on Chandrilla. So nice. this place is this firmly around the same time as, uh, well, actually I would need to check where it is in relation to the Aftermath series, but it's pretty close to it. Cause I think they move the capital in, I think they move the capital in Empire's End. So hmm, I would have to I would have to check and see where this falls in the timeline. Uh, but I found that really interesting that they identify the capital as Chandrilla. So uh, in in Force Awakens, that's is Chandrilla the that's not the planet no, that blows up. That right? is that is a planet called Hosnian Prime. Remember, I said right. they bounce around between different planets. Uh, they happened okay, to okay. be on a planet called Hosnian Prime when they they blew up the New Republic Senate. Gotcha, gotcha. So it bounces around. Uh, the last reference, they mentioned the Akadisi Maelstrom. Uh, that is the Maelstrom that they fly through in Solo, A Star Wars Story, to get to Kessel. Um, I also liked just the sheer fact that it was a C-3PO protocol droid, um, was the yes. teacher. I just thought that was a nice little, like, I mean, I know it wasn't our C-3PO, but it was... Um, not, I don't even think she has a name in this, but it's nice to see a protocol droid yeah. doing protocol droid things. Right. Like what else would they be used for to be teachers? Like, okay, that makes sense. I, like, I love me some C3PO and Triple Zero uh, and other different protocol droids doing slightly different things, but I also kind of like seeing them do their thing. Right. And I also like how this one's like bronze because it brought me back to Attack of the Clones C3PO, which was um covered in like not like not good armor like you know or not armor but you know plating or whatever it was it's like right all like messy they had, looking they had done like patch jobs on him to finish right. him up I since like anakin did most kind of, of the repair back. work exactly that brought me back to that well we gotta talk about <laughs> cookies we do have to talk about the cookies the macaroons <laughs> that baby yoda is snacking on um so again i'm gonna go back to the reference image um in the credits in the um, artwork at the end, the macaroons are not blue. They are just regular cookies. So I'm what, like, they're just like tan colored. Um, so I've noticed that in the Mandalorian, at least, John and Dave like to use this like hyper electric blue in like props or like things of meaning in episodes. So we get the the shrimp um, from the the one episode in season one are all blue, and then the drink, the spotchka that it makes, uh, the alcohol is blue, and then now the macaroons are this like blue. Which is this all a reference? A, a very long reference to blue milk? Is that what this is? You know, possibly. I've I've never even thought about it like that, but it is a clear because a classic Star Wars thing to you take a thing and you make it a different color and now it's Star right. Warsy. I know. So I'm just like, I feel like this trend of making things blue. I think we're gonna see it. I will I will need to check out uh so talking about future episodes that are coming up on the series, uh mm-hmm. there is a, a 98% certainty chance that i will be visiting batu later this year so i'm gonna see if they have any you know stuff but it's blue like stuff but it's blue or stuff but it's purple 
I'll keep my eye out for things like that. Um, right. Chris, our, our buddy over at Dark Side Divas, has been to Batu a lot more times than I have, so he would yeah. probably know. Yeah, now I'm thinking, can you get those cookies when you go there? I now? will keep my eye out for them and get back to you. Yeah, let us know uh, next time you go. Um, well, next time will be the first time. All right, the first time you go. I am there. going. I am going in November. Once in Karga's office, we see the Mithril from episode one is now working off his debt by being a secretary. During their meeting, the group convinces Mano to help take out an Imperial base. I do love that they explained uh, why the Mithril was the bounty in the first season. Um, Really just an absolute shame that he died off screen in between seasons two and three. I know, right? Really just an absolute shame (laughs) that he just disappeared. Um, Yeah, he's... I like seeing him. He's probably not going to be back after this season. Uh, Right. But I did like seeing him again and seeing why he was being brought in. Uh, So that was neat. He mentions his, his left eye still doesn't have any, he can't see out of it. Right. Uh, That is a reference to the carbonite sickness from return of the Jedi. Exactly. Uh, The blindness you get from carbonite sickness which led me to wonder because i i had said all the way back in season one that i i really hate when things that are not empire do the carbonite freezing and treat it like it's a big thing right like the whole point of maybe i just read it that way the whole point of the carbonite freezing in Empire, testing it on Solo was to make sure it wouldn't kill it. Now you could make the argument that the Tabana gas freezing chamber on Cloud City was just really bad facilities. And that's why they needed to test it because it wasn't optimized for humans. Because we do see in Clone Wars in the Citadel arc that they did freeze people in carbonite but i have to wonder what the facilities on mando's ship are like then if han recovered fully within a matter of hours from the carbonite sickness versus the mithril who still can't see out of his one of his eyes maybe alien species have a harder time in carbonite than human species i don't know that's my justification possibly (laughs) my last note for the scene is um again i promise we are not going to talk about every single scene with gina carano in it and how i feel about her delivery in each scene but i (laughs) wanted to bring this one up okay because this is a good example of when she's actually giving a, a decent performance and it's in this specific situation where she has to be soldier cara dune when she's soldier Cara Dune, it's very convincing. She's very good at it. When she has to be anything other than soldier Cara, soldier Cara Dune, not so great. But I wanted to point out this specifically because I, I noted down, she's just not too bad in this scene. She's pretty good in this scene. Um, the only thing I had for the scene was uh, a note about the mithril. So the mithril is both his name and his species. Uh, we don't know what his name is. People just call him Mithril or the Mithril. 
well, because Karga specifically says the Mithril. Like he calls him the Mithril. So I'm wondering, like, is this just another example of a, a, the demeaningness of the boss on his employee that we get throughout the episode? Or is this just like they don't even bother to learn his name because they don't care? I don't care. know. I don't it's know. So That's weird. an excellent question. Anyway. Well, we see grief treats him like shit throughout the whole episode. And the one thing I was time. like, I was like, I don't know if this is building up to something at the end of the season. Spoiler, it wasn't. And it wasn't. if it was building up to something, <laughs> we're probably never going to see it. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those artifacts of, of this season. I'm gonna tangent for just a minute hear okay. about something let's do it here's the thing about plans right <laughs> here's the thing about plans yep. i i hear a lot of people saying all the time like this particular franchise or any franchise in general needs a plan you need to have a plan you need to have a plan the problem with plans <laughs> right. is that when you plan and something happens and you can't go forward with the plan. You get left behind with some really weird artifacts in the stuff that you did put out. Mm -hmm. So like my favorite example of this is from the Marvel films, where when they were planning phase one, they figured nobody would go see Iron Man. And they figured that Incredible Hulk would be super popular. So they put all the world building in Incredible Hulk. <laughs> The problem was Incredible Hulk, the movie, was not very good. <laughs> so most of the world building they set up, they ended up just completely ignoring going forward. Right. Like, that movie didn't end up mattering at all. And I feel like the interactions between Grief and the Mithril were setting up a dynamic that was going to come into play in later seasons. Uh, and since the Mithril probably will not be back, it's weird that it's kind of left in here. Right. It just, it feels like it was setting something up and then the plan went awry. Uh, Marvel also, a great example was the Defenders. Did you watch the Netflix shows? I did watch the Netflix shows. And Do you I remember how fucking terrible Iron Fist was? <laughs> It was so my, fucking bad. My friend agrees with you. <laughs> it's so fucking bad. But by the time that was coming out, firstly, you have these episodes that are releasing. Mm -hmm. And if you film the whole series and you release it, and it becomes apparent that the show is really bad, you can't go back and fix it right. in post. But then they made Iron Fist like central to the Defenders. Because they had already been working on the Defenders. I, I don't know. When you're look at, looking at something, like there has to be a careful balance between right. having things planned out and that you need to know where you're going mm -hmm. versus I must meticulously plan out five years worth of TV shows. And yeah. you can't, you don't leave any room to adjust at all. Which is why... Uh, when we get into it later, when they do what I'll call our mini backdoor pilot. Yeah, a little on, backdoor pilot scene. You can't do that. You can't do stuff like that because this is like clearly Star Wars is riddled with scandal for some reason. Um, 
And this show in particular. Uh, this show in particular. Keep... I don't yeah. know why the fuck this keeps happening to us. It's like, let us have one nice thing, Star Wars. Like, one nice thing. Nope. But nope. No. Um, nope. Yeah, Your so nice you thing really is Bad Batch, where Dee Bradley Baker plays all of the parts. Right, because then if something happens with him, then you can just kind of go, well, the show is canceled. And then <laughs> move on. Like, yeah, some of the stuff, <laughs> some of the stuff in Mando season two, yeah, it did feel like they were doing a lot of setting up. And then mm-hmm. some of these actors are not going to be back now. Right. And so it's like, if you didn't pay it off in the individual season, what was the point right. of it? I don't know. I've tangented a lot on the myth role. After some convincing, the group begins their assault on the base and manage to break in and get to the reactor core. I'm, I'm just going to list off all the references because Great. all of my notes except <laughs> one for this, this uh, sequence all the way up to and through them shutting down the, the controls are references. Uh, because okay. the, the section is fine. It's fun. Not a lot yeah. of really happens in it. Yeah, and I didn't care for the banter like what i'm assuming was supposed to be comedy i want to say is them abusing the mithril the whole time like i felt like that was all supposed to be played for comedy and it just didn't work is that what it was because yeah i think it was supposed to be like amusing and yeah yeah, it didn't really land for me at all like my one thing was like he's like hey i'll knock off a hundred years off your slavery debt like that's supposed to be funny like i don't understand like He's like when he's threatening him and he's like, he's like, uh, or they like, they, they tell him, oh, you can stay with the speeder, which makes sense. Yes. It makes sense to leave the non-combatant with the speeder. But then they're like, oh, well, if you don't come, the lava flow is going to get you. I'm like, you couldn't have mentioned that to him like beforehand or planned accordingly in any way. But also the lava, okay, so that, I have a question about that too, because like, they said the lava flow is going to get you if you don't come with us, but it's like, I don't understand. You're always mean, like, planning after? to be, yeah, like lava was going to come through the thing at some point, and. It's so random. Anyway, it's, I, I, I don't know. I here's our know. list of references That's in the sequence. Uh, and I will say again, I, I really do like Carl Weathers' direction mm-hmm. on this. It's just a lot of fun. It's really interesting. It, the script is just pretty weak through yes. this section. Uh, we've got the land speeder shot, which is a reference to the famous land speeder shot from A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, our dank ferret counter is now at five. Caradine mm-hmm. says it. Uh, so we're up to that. We, they find a code cylinder that they end up using. Yeah. So code cylinders are Mark VII Imperial rank, and they're also used for exactly what we see used in the episode. They're used to access rooms in the base. This is a plot point in uh, Star Wars Rebels Season 3, the use of the code cylinders. Right. Uh, and then finally, the device that the Mithril shuts down is uh, the same design as the tractor beam controls complete with OSHA non-compliant yes I wrote that down (laughs) that joke was funny I did like that joke because not only did they make a point of mentioning it I just thought it was funny that they were like 
why are there no guardrails? Like, it doesn't make any sense why the Empire doesn't put in guardrails. Like, it's just, it's just funny. Well, they how... also say earlier that, like, <laughs> the Empire's door controls are fried. Right. Because they use, like, non-lava, non-lava rated <laughs> stuff for it. Uh, but anyway, it's the same device yeah. as, as Ben shuts down in A New Hope. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's all the references in this sequence. Other than that, it's it's just a, it's more decent action. Agreed. After fleeing the reactor core, the group stumbles upon some strange tanks with some deformed beings inside and realize the base is actually a laboratory. They listen to a call from Dr. Pershing confirming Moff Gideon is still alive and the child is in danger as the group splits up. Somehow Moff Gideon returned. Okay, I wrote down, if you don't see a body, Mando, they're not dead. It's Star Wars. Even if you see a body, there's a good chance they're not dead. And also, just to point out, in the season finale of season one, we see the TIE fighter go down in the distance. There's no explosion. It just crashes. Like, so why Mando would assume that Gideon is dead makes no sense. Like, you didn't go to the wreckage to see? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, that was weird that that he was so firmly convinced that Gideon was dead. I that was a weird thing for me weird. that sequence. I do love this scene overall. Uh, mm-hmm. I love seeing Pershing again. He's great. Uh, there's some interesting stuff that happens in this scene. Mm-hmm. That looking back at it in hindsight, mm-hmm. knowing more about rise of skywalker and what's actually going on in that movie so when they look into the tanks right the theme that plays is reminiscence of palpatine's teachings from revenge okay. of the sith uh and also very reminiscent of the snoke theme so one theory that people had at the time was this will eventually lead to the creation of snoke because uh, pershing also talks about blood transfusions Mm-hmm. Uh, they need high M count blood. What they're trying to do is they're trying to take force sensitive blood and put it into subjects or strand casts or whatever to try to make them force sensitive. Right. The prevalent theory is that it's the technology that eventually leads to Snoke. I have two alternate theories do tell. as to what's really going on here. So theory number one is that Moff Gideon wants to be force sensitive. That is his whole plan. He wants to be force sensitive. And he thinks that taking blood with a high midichlorian count in it and somehow transfusing it into himself will allow someone who is non-force sensitive to gain force sensitive abilities. Hmm. That's theory number one. Okay, I like it. Theory number two is that Gideon or someone higher in Gideon's, somebody Gideon answers to. Yeah. So be that either Ray Sloan or Grand Admiral Thrawn, somebody got these orders from either Snoke or directly from Palpatine Mm. to try to figure this out. Because we know Palpatine's looking for a viable host body. Right. And they're trying to use either cloning or natural means are trying to use different ways to get him in this Force-sensitive body. This may be an attempt to do that. It may be an attempt to build a high midichlorian count body 
that would be able to be a vessel for Palpatine's spirit. Got it. Yeah, I, these I are my theories. No, I These think that's true because I wrote down in my notes when I was listening to Dr. Pershing talk about the M count and stuff, he said that he's run out of the blood that he right. took from the child and that he doesn't have enough for the volunteer is what he says. So there is a either a person or a test subject or someone who is being infused with this blood. So I don't know if that's a clone i don't know if that's a strand cast i don't know if that's a i don't know if that's just some person we haven't met yet that's the real villain of the whole show like you know wondering who it is because that could be an interesting but it's also that's not how the force works pershing i mean (laughs) it's not how the force works i guess it does though because clearly well well it's it's not trying to figure that's the problem is it's it's not working exactly so i'd be curious that's why i don't think this episode is really 100 like a filler episode because there's those little sprinkles of because there's little sprinkles yeah. of stuff that they're seeding they've said in the past that mandalorian is going to set up where the first order came from and talk about the rise of the first order and tie more directly into the sequel trilogy right so this may be the first hints of that i like it Next up, the group are attacked by stormtroopers and a gun battle ensues. Mando jetpacks away and Kara drives a cruiser over the edge to escape while also crushing the mithril speedster in the process. After the base explodes, a few TIE fighters manage to escape and begin pursuit. They are stopped by the Razor Crest with Baby Yoda in the passenger seat. He gets sick from cookies. Do you know about Blue Jeans Guy? Blue, oh yes um i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about blue jeans guy <laughs> when i was re- when i was doing my notes for this episode um i i noted that this in this particular uh section of scenes is where they digitally erased um a crew member <laughs> it, was seen, it was seen in the shot right i mean this sequence this is where i noted that this was a very theme park ride kind of episode yeah, like it reminds me a yeah. lot of like a Toy Story ride that I went on where you have to shoot. It's mm-hmm. very like the trench run from A New Hope crossed with the Force Awakens Falcon chase through the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got fun. a little bit of everything in it because it's got bike troopers on speeders. Mm-hmm. It's got, like you said, trench run technically uh, with the Tie Fighters. I mean. You got a little bit of everything. Um, I almost, when you said that it could be a ride at Disney, I kind of thought like this should be a ride at Disney. If you want to incorporate, like hard incorporate some of your shows and stuff into like Batu and stuff, you can go like, well, like Rise of the Resistance and, um, you know, has that kind of hard. Because this like, is kind of, this is kind of what you do with the Falcon. Right. But I feel like you could do like a shooting gallery like oh, this sure. 100%. Has, like, this would be a very fun theme park ride if you were to just go through a canyon on one of these ships and right. you didn't control it the way that you have to pilot the falcon right it was being I, I think it would work have you ever been on the buzz Lightyear ride uh yes that was the ride i was mentioning oh, earlier okay. that yeah, i remember yeah. from being a kid and doing that and doing the shooting so the buzz Lightyear ride is i think a similar situation they could do that you could be like the cannon operator in the you know 
in the cruiser and then the cruiser would go by itself on the track or whatever however it's supposed to be. well actually now that they have the new mag- magnetic tracks you don't even need to have a physical track it could just go all over the place um and then you could get points at the end and then everybody could be like i got more points than you um but then it'd be cool because then you could shoot random stuff you could have stormtroopers showing up out of nowhere and then all kinds of tie fighters and shit that would be great speaking of tie fighters do all tie fighters do the docking thing now where they they can fold up i guess this era do they all do that because they don't in rebels (laughs) it's it's very weird and then in the first order the ties are parked yeah like on the wall so i don't know whether or not all ties do this now but the razor crest sequence is a lot of fun yeah I, I like did like that. that. I thought that, yeah, all the stuff in, not space, but you know what I mean? Like in the sky, the, sky. the dog fighting was so good. Baby just Yoda's visually. all of us. Just yeah. having a good time. <laughs> I'll be here. I'm also eating in the car, which was a mistake. Right. Yeah, I, I love how he vomits at the end. I think that's so fucked. Like it's gross, but it's cute because it's blue. So it's very like, I don't know. They just did a good job with that. After Mando and the child leave the planet, a New Republic pilot, Carson Teva, makes a return and has questions for Karga about the destruction of the Imperial base. Later, Teva tries to recruit Kara by guilting her about her plants exploding. I just need to throw out here that Paul Sun Lee is such a good actor and clearly mm-hmm. having so much fun in this. Yeah. Like, I love the, the cop, like, take, but I also... We'll get into the the backdoor pilot in a second, but I don't think we need a cop show in Star Wars. But I feel like he's a good cop character. Like I don't know, it's just so I I can't respond to that without first addressing uh, for those of you who who maybe haven't figured out what we're talking about. There was a show announced called Rangers of the New Republic uh, that was one of the first shows that was kind of being floated around in the rumor mill. Uh, and it was officially announced at the same time a lot of other shows was, but it's now no longer in active development. And this is very, this, this two, these two sequences, very obviously a backdoor pilot to that, right. that they were trying to set up. And I had thought that Rangers of the New Republic would be like law and order in space. Right. Like they're going around and hunting down Imperials uh, and, and you got a very like Dick Wolf kind of style of things i thought that would be an interesting take on it personally uh but looking at this sequence it in the new republic they may change it so the new republic is more prominent in other shows now that they don't seem to be doing rangers of the new republic anymore mm-hmm. uh and I will theorize that Rangers of the New Republic was meant to star Cara Dune. That's my theory at any rate. They've never officially said it was meant to star her. That's my theory. It's weird that it's here and it's like kind of setting up. It's setting up her to have a character arc that now is not going to happen. Well, so what's funny, and I'll, I'll just bring this up because it, it's actually relevant. So he puts down the badge he right. gives her like a badge, right? And he puts it down on the table. I thought it was, I did think it was weird though that she doesn't pick it up in this scene though. And then theoretically she has it on later. I don't know. 
is, I felt like that is the moment, right? Like where she decides to take the job is her picking it up and she doesn't do that. So there's no closure for that scene. Yeah, like it feels like they, they were setting all this up as like she was going to, because she takes it by the end of the season. Right. And they were going to spin it off and, and they were going to play more into her relationship with like the Imperials and hunting Imperials. But it as it stands, it's it's kind of a weird scene in hindsight because yeah. it doesn't like it pays off kind of at the end of the season when mm-hmm. she has her confrontation with the Imperial pilot in the finale. But I don't know. I there are some interesting things, too, in this scene as well. Uh, Carson Teva talks about they're not being isolated incidents. They're being multiple things. Uh, so we're sort of seeing hints of the first order. And if you listen very closely, the quote unquote new Republic theme, it's the resistance theme again. Okay. Remember we talked about the resistance theme popping up in episode two. Right. It's here again. So it's kind of the new Republic theme is being used or the resistance theme is sort of being used as the new Republic theme. I also thought too, they were, like you said, they were trying to set it up because it, he talked, yeah, like he said, he's like, I know something's happening out here. Um, I just don't know what it is yet. And it's just going to get worse. And they were setting that show up for sure. But I felt like the way that this scene, and especially the last scene um, that will cap in a second with Gideon, it they don't feel cohesive with the episode. They don't fit. Like there's something like shoehorned about both scenes. So I don't know why they did it this way. I think, like you said before, the Kara stuff would have worked better if this theme of the episode was Kara needs to do things a certain way instead of by the law. Like, you know, that would have made the episode stronger, first of all, and then also would have made this end scene backdoor pilot make more sense or it just would have made it less shoehorny. I don't know. And then the next scene um, with Gideon that I'll talk about in a second doesn't feel cohesive because I think they do this throughout the whole entire season. They shoehorn in these scenes with Gideon. And they this- kind of pop away to go, Moff Gideon is still here. Yeah, I almost He's feel still like around. they don't serve the, they serve the plot of the story arc, but they don't serve like, because we don't get to see anything. It's all happening behind the scenes, which I feel like is a detriment to the villain because I think he's a great villain. I just, we don't get to see him be a villain. Right. At least, you know, he's kind of there and he's in the background, but he doesn't really, like I liked when he popped up in episode three because yeah. they worked it in pretty organically to be like, he's, he's behind this. He's there. He's yeah. there, but this one, they kind of cut away. The episode ends aboard a light cruiser where the comms officer tells us that the Razor Crest is now being tracked. Moff Gideon vows to be ready as we see he has made an army of dark troopers. So the comms officer, do you have written down who she's played by? I don't actually. So fun fact about uh, the person who plays this character. Uh, Her name is Katie O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And relevant to this show, she is a member of the LGBTQ plus community. 
And she has also appeared on an episode of Pink Milk. Oh, really? They interviewed her uh, on one of their episodes. Now, I only found this out 10 minutes before we recorded this episode. (laughs) But had had I checked into her, had I done my research last night like I would have like I was planning to do right I would have uh gone back and listened to that episode but yes Pink Milk apparently according to Wikipedia she did appear on an episode of Pink Milk so shout out Brian over at Pink Milk uh go check out the episode with her she did appear talking about it they've also interviewed uh Trace Martez uh and they've interviewed Justina Ireland who was one of the authors of the high republic pink milk is such a good show go listen to it um Uh, so i wanted to note about her too she doesn't get a name um it's just comms officer just comms officer which i don't know i like when they get names even if they don't say them like it's like just give them a name like i don't like them not getting names like i I, i'd rather have the officers have names maybe she'll be back i don't know yeah, I think actually she does appear later. She does appear uh, several season. times in this season. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Which she'll be back is, in future seasons. But that's, again, why I thought it was weird that they didn't give her a name. Because she does appear more than once. If she had only appeared in this episode, I would have been like, sure. You know what I mean? Because, like, the um, the uh, the one guy from episode three, you know, he dies. So they don't give him a name either. Right. Um, which is fine because he just dies. But this girl, she, you know, she shows up more than once and she kind of seems to be like very close to Moff Gideon, at least in terms of like constantly reporting to him. So she can just walk into wherever he is and give her right, which is weird because not normal, you know, people wouldn't be able to do that. So she's very high up enough to where, or at least in his circle of trust, the where she he allows her to do that. Speaking of Moff Gideon, Giancarlo Esposito is just so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, every time he's on screen, I'm like, you are so cool. You are just, you are having a blast in this part. Uh, He did confirm recently that he is going to be back for season three. He he did audibly say that we're going to see him. He's in season three. Him and Carl Weathers, who's directing again, and Pedro Pascal are the only three, I think, that are 100% confirmed for season three. Um, he did give this interview where he called he called him uh, Moff as though Moff was his first name. Oh. Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Some people were mad about it, but I'm like, we badly, and I tweeted about this, we badly need to get over the idea that actors who are are working in a genre piece need to have like the deep lore of everything memorized to do their job like Giancarlo Esposito is one of the coolest fucking villains in the Star Wars franchise if he thinks dude's first name is Moth that has no impact whatsoever on his performance just let him do his thing yeah, I'm trying. I was trying to see if he has like a first name, but they don't have a. He doesn't. Um, it's just Gideon. So it's just Moff Gideon. I get so, it. Just just because yeah. we're spoiled, and we've got Henry Cavill, who like knows everything about The Witcher. Yeah, being Geralt in The Witcher TV show <laughs> doesn't mean that 
I don't know. It just annoys me when when fandoms like gets annoyed at people for not knowing things about yeah, the like, franchises they're in. I'm like, sorry. it's not relevant to do your job. Yeah, like Tom Holland's Calm not going to know every single comic book that Spider-Man was ever in and to every interaction he had with Doctor Strange for this upcoming movie. He's not going to be like, oh yeah, well in comic book number 64 of this series, like uh, Spider-Man tells Doctor Strange to fuck off. Like, you know, he's not going to... He's not going to know all that stuff. And I don't expect actors to know, like, especially when you have Star Wars or something as big as Star Wars or Marvel, like, I can't expect you to be that big of a nerd and know all your shit, like, a hundred percent. I co-host a Star Wars podcast and I get things wrong all the time. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I've been studying Star Wars for 24 years. (laughs) <laughs> and like even i i get things wrong all right. of the time on the show that's why we have the charles thing charles fucked up last week segment but i also think that giancarlo esposito is really really amazing in the role and i'm really excited i'm really going to be excited to see him back for season three especially if they do with his character what i think they're going to do with this character but we'll get there when we get to the finale got it um and uh talking about the dark troopers real quick because uh, that's kind of the last little bit of this scene um i had no idea what dark troopers were going into this episode this was one of those things where every article after the episode aired was like dark troopers are from the old canon blah 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 there was so many references and easter eggs in this episode yeah uh that i looked at the dark troopers and i looked down at my notes and i went we'll deal with you later okay that's fair we will deal with you later did you like the tease though so I was I was indifferent on the Dark Troopers when I saw them for the first time. A lot of people are like, oh, that's really cool, yada, yada. I've not really played Jedi Outcast or um, Jedi Knight, any of those games. Or was it, no, it was Dark Forces that they were in, oh. uh, which I also haven't really played. As a kid, I didn't really play any. The point is, whatever game that they're in, which I'll know, by the time we get to the episode uh, where I'm going to talk about them, whatever game they were in, I hadn't really played. The only thing I had seen dark troopers was as the human version, uh, where it's actually a guy in the armor in, um, in battlefront two, the original battlefront two from 2005. So I didn't have the same freak out reaction, but I did appreciate that other people did. And that is one of the cool things about repurposing legend stuff. Mm-hmm. I am going to have that reaction to something in the next episode, actually. Cool. Uh, and I think you know exactly what it is that uh, made me stand up and cheer in the, in the next episode <laughs> of the show. Well, that's but a good teaser for next week. There you go. That was my impression of the Dark Troopers. Was I was I read all the same articles you did. Went oh, they're from. Some I think it's Dark game. Forces. I think yeah. it's Dark Forces. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't really play it. So it's it wasn't something that really like floored me. Uh, we will also talk about their use okay. in the series uh, when we get to episode eight. Awesome. Well, uh, that's all I have. Do you have anything else for the episode and you want to give me your ranking? Yeah. Um, overall, I thought the episode was a lot of fun. Uh, And I think that's key to Star Wars when you're looking at a franchise like Star Wars. uh, Like we just had Visions come out. We're not going to talk about it on the show yet. 
because our guest said yes to being on. So we're waiting for her to watch Visions with her partner. They're going to watch it first, and then we're going to record an episode with her. So that's why we're not addressing Visions. But I think, because I watched it with my boyfriend, and one thing that really stuck out to me is that it captured the element of just having fun. Right. And I think this episode, I think, definitely keeps that, which Mm -hmm. is at the core of things like Star Wars Visions, Force Awakens also did this, to where you can always fall back on the fun. Right. Uh, I didn't think it was a substantial episode. I thought the backdoor pilot stuff was weird uh, and awkward in hindsight. I thought it was... uh, I thought it was lacked a lot of, it missed a lot of opportunities. So for me, I think it's going to go last in everything yeah. thus far. I, I have think, mine last two. I think uh, my current rankings as it stands, and it's all going to change week to week. It's probably going to be the heiress, uh, the marshal, the passenger, and then the siege. Um. Yes, I, I have the same exact ranking. I also want to note that this is now the first episode uh, that is not titled a reference to a character so far in the series. We have left the guest star uh, trilogy. Right. At so the now start we're of the in season. the event trilogy, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll analyze each title as they come, but... I just wanted to know that this one's now just the first one that doesn't reference a character. So it's just interesting when they could have, in fact, I don't know. Could, could you have given this? Well, if this had been that full backdoor pilot, you could have called it like not the marshal, but you know, the magistrate, or you could have called it. I was literally thinking that the magistrate would have made a great title. If they had chosen to focus like specifically on, on Kara, and made yeah. her the focus of the episode. They, you know, they could have called it like the soldier, the soldier, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because the next episode is the next episode. We're back to a side character being the reason for the name, right? So I just thought that was interesting that they make this break from the pattern. I also I do want to note that every episode so far is called the something, which is. A good, I like when naming convention is the same for episodes for a season, usually. Unfortunately, season one fucked that up because they have only like one or two episodes that are not titled properly. Uh, Sanctuary and Redemption, I think. Yeah. Are the so. two which are not named. But every single one in this season is named named after what right. it is actually in it. Or it has a V. <laughs> At the time, the, is what yeah. I to say. So, I like naming convention. I just wish they would fucking stick to it. <laughs> well, they do in this season, fortunately. Right. But unfortunately, this one's not that it's a bad episode. It is at the bottom of my ranking because it doesn't have a lot substantial, and what is actually there is very awkwardly handled. All right, all well, right. that's all I have. Until next all right. time. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. 
And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. And then the the picture of this one, this one has four eyes versus like regular Walrus Man has two. I wonder if they have there's maybe there's like sub species of them like they're like different breeds or something i don't know that's it's a different podcast that needs to answer okay, questions yeah, about the biology of the aqualish <laughs> i i know we went well now we've really gone too far well, off now we've gone on a tangent um okay well i'll cut that one down um but anyway